But I believe God's going to do something really special today. I know we're beginning our summer Skybreak series and the season that we're in. But I believe that God's going to do something supernatural today. I was reading a passage and we're going to read it again today. It's the passage that we're going to study out of Judges chapter six. And God showed me something that it's not new. You know, here's what I've come to learn. There's nothing new under the sun. Too many people are trying to be original and they will never be because there's nothing new. God is the creator. He is the only one. He is the only original. Everything that is created from there is created from the creator. So therefore, you cannot be original. You can only be a, a replicate or a copy. So sometimes when you read scripture, God can show you something that maybe you didn't see before. But it may not be nothing new, but it's fresh for where you're at. There's a difference. So I want to point something out today that when I was reading it, I felt like it was an instruction to believers, all of us. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn with me to Judges chapter six? And if you're not already standing, will you stand in honor of God's word today as we read it? Judges chapter six, we're going to read verses one through ten. Here's what's crazy. The message I thought I was going to preach earlier this week, I didn't even get to the passage I thought I was going to preach. Like we got, I got 10 verses in, I didn't even get to the, what I would feel is some of the good parts because God showed me something and that's what we're going to dive into today. Judges chapter six, verse one, it says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he, meaning God, gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Wherever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and Amalekites and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you out up of Egypt. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened. I read that 10 verses and I had to stop. There's so much that I want to unpack today in this. In these 10 verses that may seem easily to read and look over, but there are some really important factors that I think God wants us to hear today. So I want to break this down a little bit, almost verse by verse, um, a little bit different than what I normally do. But 
That's what we're going to do today. And I want to preach to you from the title, Humiliated for Humility. Humiliated for Humility. Father, we thank you for your presence in this room. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you, you would jump off the page to us today. That you would find your place in our life in the areas that seem dark, seem dry. Maybe that are hidden, that we haven't opened that door. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Let us see your word as a fresh light unto our feet. So we can walk the path that you've called us to walk. Let us experience your grace and your mercy that is renewed, that follows us every single day. Let us experience your joy in seasons right now where we may feel like there is no joy to even grasp. God, let us also hear your word and not just be hearers of it, but let us be doers of it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone said a big amen. Amen. Give someone a hug before you take a seat. Yes, we're that kind of church. I feel like I have the hardest time with this daggum bottle. Y'all probably see me every week getting this lid back on here. If I don't get it on right, we're going to be spilling. And maybe that's what God wants to do. Maybe God wants to spill out of an overflow today. Everything is a sermon for me right now. I don't know what it is. We're going to just go there. Have you ever had a time? Dad, gum it. All right. Screw that. All right. Have you ever had a time in your life where you found yourself in a really bad place? Like you were being attacked. Thank you. Let's give it up for our stage crew. I'll, I'll want it back in a minute because I get parched when I talk. Um, but have you ever found a time in your life where you, you found yourself in a bad place? You felt like you were being attacked from all sides and you feel like there, there was no way to get oxygen, like you're drowning. It's like all these things are going on. Your, your life is in chaos. Some of you are like, yes, you're telling my life right now. And, and, and you, you dealt with it for so long that finally you found yourself coming to a place where you cried out to God to save you from the mess that you were in. Anybody ever been there? Places of despair. Places where maybe you felt fully defeated. Like you're being run over and run over and run over and run over. Maybe places where you feel completely depleted. See, when we face these situations, we can often ask ourselves, is God even there with us? I'm facing all of this. Why would God not save me from this season? Why would he not go ahead and do something about it? I feel like it's been going on, God. It's been going on for too long. The enemy's attacking me, Lord. He's trying to take me out. Come save me. See, I, I believe that too often we blame so much on the enemy when really the enemy has nothing to do with it. 
Like, like we want to blame the enemy for all of our problems. But I found a lot of times the enemy wasn't even in the problem. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? We, we, we like to blame the enemy for attacking our family when really... If we would have just taken the time, maybe because our family is all in chaos, you feel like your kids are everywhere, they're not respecting you as a parent, they're, they're all out on their wayward way, they're doing all this crazy stuff, and you're like, God, the, the enemy is attacking my kids. They're going through all these problems, they're on drugs, they're, they're sneaking out of the house, they're, they're doing all this stuff, my family's in chaos, the enemy is attacking my kids, when really, we want to blame the enemy, but really, maybe it's because we never really spent time with our family. Speaking life into them. We were so busy about building something that we didn't build the very thing that God gave us. Maybe it's because all their morals are jacked up because we didn't instill the proper value of church and connection with the right people. They're out hanging with the wrong crowd and you're praying and wanting God get them with the right people. When maybe if you would have instilled into them. But we want to blame the enemy. We blame the enemy for, for our marriage going through hell and why our spouse and us can't even connect when really if you would actually just take the time to notice him or notice her and their needs and stop only caring about yours. I'm preaching today. I know it's quiet. Maybe things might be just a little bit different. But we want to blame the enemy. We, we, we blame the enemy for our life falling apart. My life's in chaos, God. It's all falling apart when really it's because we've lost sight of God's word in our life. And we've chosen to, to drink the world's poison and, and, and how to live and what the world says about that instead of what God's word said. So we're out partying. We're out getting drunk. We're out sleeping around. We're out lying and cheating and, and doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, we're, we're all worried about our life. It's all in chaos. It feels out of control. And God is sitting ringside of the octagon saying, can you hear me? You're in a battle, but I'm speaking. And your life's in chaos. But if you would listen to me, my voice. What I said, I spoke to you before you went in, forgot everything that I said. You lost your training. We blame the enemy. Yeah, I'm still going. We blame the enemy. This is how God gave it to me, so I'm going to give it to you just like he gave it to me. We, we blame the, the enemy for attacking our money. We can't even pay our bills. Our money's all out of order. We feel like, oh, well, the enemy's just attacking us. I, I, we ain't got no money. We're living paycheck to paycheck. We're doing all this stuff. When really, like we're, we're in a place where we're maybe even about to be evicted. Maybe your house is about to be foreclosed on. And we're crying out to God for help. God, save me from this. But really, if God is sitting there saying, well, if you would have followed my word. That says if you would have put me first and and give me my tithe back to me and returning it back to me, I could bless everything else you're doing. If you would have really got a budget and you would have start telling your money where it needs to go rather than your money telling you where it needs to go. And if you would stop spending more than you're making and stop living a champagne life on a beer budget. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're amen in today. We going in today. 
We, we blame the enemy when the person to blame is the one that you look in the mirror at every single day. So I came to declare something to you, just like God told me, and that was stop giving credit to the enemy and start taking responsibility. You see, this was the problem that was happening with the Israelites. They're like, where, where are you getting this from? I'm, I'm going to show you. This, this is the same problem that happened with the Israelites. They, they were living in the land that God had given them, and they had experienced 40 years of prosperity. And, and their apostasy brought them into a place of servitude. They had, apostasy means they, they had forgotten. They had pulled away from what they believed and who they known to believe in. And it brought them to a place of slavery. Let's read it again. The Israelites. In one translation, actually, when I was reading in one of my Bibles, I have like 18 of them because I like to look at all the different translations and look at all the commentary and look at all the different footnotes that different people that I like to follow you know, say. One of them says, again, which means this is a cycle. And some of you, maybe you're living in a cycle and God's saying it's time to break the cycle today. You've been going round and round and wondering where you, why you're finding yourself and you've built a rut and you're, you're more happier in your rut than you are to get out of it because it's comfortable and it's what you know. And all you know is abuse. And all you know is, is no money. All you know is no budget. All you know is yelling at your kids. All you know is, can we keep going? I told y'all two, two scoops of pre-workout will do something for you. It says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now we can read this verse and so easily overlook what's happening here. Because we read it and we're like, oh, wow, man, they did evil. They messed up. And then, man, God, God, he, he just let the Midianites have them. But we, we can miss really what's going on if we dig a little bit deeper. And when I read this, I felt like God was saying, dig a hole here and just keep digging. And a lot of times we, we, what we see is we choose to see God only as our Savior. And we forget that he's also our master. Ooh, this is going to preach right here. He is also the shepherd who keeps his flock on the right path. Okay, I want to I show a picture today. Look at this awesome picture. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus. If you hadn't figured that out yet. It's Jesus holding a lamb with the flock. And as we look at this, how many of you have seen a picture like this where Jesus holding the lamb? You know, maybe it's on the shoulders. And like, oh, this is just so sweet. Jesus carries us when we can't carry ourselves. That's when we see it, you know, right? Like when we can't even walk, when we don't know what we're doing, Jesus just carries us. He saves us when we're facing trouble. Can I get an amen? When he saves us. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And, and, and this is Jesus. It is. He, he delivers. He restores. He's gentle. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. But we often only see Jesus in this light. The rescuer only. The redeemer only. The savior only. But there's a different meaning to this picture. Jesus wasn't carrying this little lamb because he wanted, because it was tired. 
and weary. He wasn't carrying the lamb because he wanted a cuddle. He was carrying it because that lamb had gone astray. It had walked away. And it was and, and, and it made itself susceptible to being eaten, to being attacked. And it wouldn't listen. So you know why he has to carry it. Because shepherds would break the lamb's leg so that way it wouldn't learn, you've got to stay with us. You can't get off track because you don't know. But there's an enemy out there lurking and waiting. And, and we, we want God to just say, oh, he's just the savior. He also is the corrector. You've got to learn to stay close to the herd. But yet we get stupid enough to think we're going to do it all on our own. When my Bible says that there is an enemy prowling at the door waiting for like a lion for somebody to devour. Lurking in the shadows. Jesus isn't carrying it because he wanted a cuddle. He's carrying it because it needed correction. He needed to teach it a lesson. And all the flock got to see it. Oh. He did that. But guess what? They probably at one point did too. And they had their ankle broke too. And he had to carry it and, 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 and hold on to it. So finally, when it got a place to walk, that shepherd's hook was also meant to pop them. Which I go to say, that's why a good spanking every now and then is good. My Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. I needed a butt whooping as a kid. How many of y'all needed a butt whooping? As, how many of y'all probably needed more than what you got? Thank you, Lord, for your saving grace. You see, I've learned in life that God doesn't always rescue you from your pain. But he will teach you something from it. And then he'll use it for his glory. So God showed me one time that, that your pain isn't just meant for you. It's also meant for him. And his glory. So what we're seeing here in the, it, that's happening with these Israelites is they have begun to do some stupid things. And the Bible said that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And I began to look at that. Well, what were they doing? And he, why, did, why did God allow an army who wasn't even more powerful to ravage their harvest, to, to completely oppress them for seven years. All their harvest, all their livestock, after seven years of being overrun, all, why did God do that? But as I begin to look, and after all this happening, they, after seven years, they became completely depleted, and then they finally cried out to the Lord. Finally. What you have to realize, though, is that, that they had lost their way. When I begin to, to do the research of like, what evil were they doing? Like, it's not descriptive enough. They did evil. That's a lot that they could do. What, what did they do? Because I don't want to do that. I don't want God to give me to the hands of the enemy for seven years. But what, 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 did, what did they do? What happened was they had forgotten who God was to them. They had found themselves in a place of disobedience, and the evil that they did was thinking that they got themselves where they were. They thought that they got themselves into the promised land that they were living in, but they didn't get themselves there. God gave them the land that they had forgotten who their source was. 
They were living in the land that God had handed to them. And so for 40 years, they were living in prosperity, but it brought them to a place of complacency. God had provided for 40 years. Everything was bliss. Everything was easy. And because of their success, they begin to lose sight of their source. This is going to preach to you today. They began to worship other gods. They lost their way so much that they began to worship other gods. And God told them, don't do that. They had put God on the back burner. They had set him in the attic where you don't see them until you go up there to get stuff out for Christmas. They had put him behind their accolades and their trophies on the shelf, and they had forgotten who they were. And what I had observed in this text as I was as I was reading it and God was showing me, it says I, what, I, what God showed me was that their disobedience led to their depletion. It was their disobedience. It wasn't the enemy. Like, are you getting this? It, it wasn't the enemy. It wasn't the oppression of the Midianites. It was their own disobedience that got them there. And I wonder how many times we blame the enemy for what we don't have when really it's our own disobedience for why we don't have it. We like to blame the enemy why we ain't got no peace, but really it's our own fault why we don't have any peace. It's hitting today. I know it. you're feeling it because that's how it felt to me. And I want you to know this because if we forget who our source is, we will find ourselves in a self-absorbed lifestyle that we will lose ourselves, we will begin worshiping other things, other idols, and before you know it, we are going to be sucked into the world's view of life and sex and gender and politics and morals and standards, and we were going to end up into a place, and this is where I believe our world is today, we're going to end up in a place of depletion, so delusioned and so morally off compass that anything or anyone or any group or any movement that throws a life raft out, we will take it because we've lost our way. So God let their disobedience run its course. He had to let them feel their disobedience. We, we do this to our kids, but yet we get mad when God does it to us. No, you can't go out with your friends. Why not? What did I tell you to do the last 18 times just this morning? Clean your room. Do the dishes and do them how I say they're supposed to be done, not your version of it. Ooh, this will preach because this is how we do with God's scripture. We want to do it how we think it should be done. Ooh, man, I'm going to go here. Maybe I shouldn't, Lord. Going to offend somebody, God. We, we want to take God's word and we like to pervert it to our own lifestyle. We, have, we, we live in a place of, in a world of, of twist and perversion. Because if it doesn't make us feel good, then we don't want it. 
But God didn't send his word to make us feel good. God sent his word to make us changed. And that's different. So God had to allow the Israelites disobedience to run its course because he needed them to realize he needed their humiliation. He needed that to bring them to a place of humility to remember who got them there, who brought them out of Egypt and out of slavery, who conquered the Egyptians and washed them away in the Red Sea. Who was their God? He had to remind them who he was. So he had to allow the disobedience of their ways to run its course, to bring them to a place of humility. And what I've discovered in this passage is that their depletion led them to a place of dependency. It led them to a place of renewed dependency. You see, sometimes God will let you be so depleted so you won't remain conceited. He will allow things in your life to dissipate so you can remember who gave them to you in the first place. This is why the story of Abraham is so crucial and so important. God gave him a son that he waited what Bible says and scholars believe over two decades for he was a century old when he had been praying and praying and praying and believing and God gave him a son. They tried to do it their own way and they tried to alter the course and, 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 and Sarah Sarai said, hey, why don't you just sleep with my maidservant? God's taking too long. So we're going to do it our way. I'm telling you, y'all, this is where we're living today. We want to do it our own way. And they altered the course. And so Sarai gets upset at the maidservant, starts being mean to her because now that she bared the son, a son, but it wasn't God's chosen son. But yet, when the story goes on, as you continue to read, Abraham finally does have his son through Sarai, who she laughed and chuckled that she could even get pregnant at like 75 years old. She gets pregnant. They have Isaac, the, the, the chosen son. And then... Some years later, some scholars say it was sometime in the teenage years. Some say that he was a grown adult. They get to a place where, where Abraham told, tells, uh, or God tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. It's crazy talk. In, insanity. And, and, and God says, will you basically, will you give him back to me? Abraham got his son the next morning, by the way, moved. He knew what disobedience would get him. So he followed God's word. God said, take me your son. He brought him up on the hill. And I can only imagine as maybe whether he's 13 or whether he's 23 going, dad, we're going up to make a sacrifice and I'm, I'm carrying the wood. Where is the sacrifice? I can only imagine the feeling that Abraham had saying, son, God's going to provide. God's going to provide. And what Abraham was dealing with on the inside, I'm sure Isaac was not stupid enough to realize something's not right. But as you read the story, and I'm not going to get all the way into it, but 
I believe it was also a depiction and some scholars believe that the very same mountain that that happened on was the same mountain that Jesus was crucified. And so when Isaac was taken up and he was about to slay his son, God spoke to him in a voice, which is key because the, the Bible says that my sheep know my voice. And so he spoke to, to, to Abraham and said, stop now, you know, and now I know that you believe. And then he provided a supplement, an exchange of a ram in a thicket, and they sacrificed that to God. A beautiful exchange. Something took its place, just like Jesus took our place. It's not my sermon today, but I hope that's for somebody. But after seven years of, humil of humiliation of the Israelites, after seven years of fruitless labor and poverty and domination by an oppressive power, Israel finally cried out to the Lord. And prayer was their last resort, not their first response. Let's read it. Verse six, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Verse seven, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. I, I love this part because what it tells us is, is when we cry out, God responds. They cried out to God, Lord, we need your help. And God responded. Aren't you thankful? I don't know about you, but I am grateful for a God that I serve, that, that, that responds to my cries. He responds. He is not distant. He is not far away. He is nearer than I realize. I serve a God that when I come to my senses, he is standing at the door, running to me with open arms, saying, welcome back. I love you. I'm going to put the garment on you. I'm going to put the ring on you. He makes ways in our lives when there seems to be no other but I want to pick up the fact that it says when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian he sent them not a savior but a prophet and that stuck out to me they cried out for God to save them and yet God sent them a prophet and then what goes on to happen this is this is crazy see we look for God to send us a savior but sometimes before he sends us a savior he'll send us a prophet he sent the Israelites, an unnamed prophet, we don't even know his name, to remind them not to save them, to remind them what God had brought them from. God sent a messenger to tell them where the real problem was. Are you getting this? It wasn't that the Midianites were so strong, it was that Israel was so disobedient. Israel thought the problem was the Midianites. They thought it was something else, somebody else, but the real problem was Israel. And I wonder how many times we do this, that we blame others for the problems that we cause. Well, I am this way because of so-and-so. I am this way because of what happened. It's because of what they did or what they didn't do. You are who you allow yourself to be. Nobody makes that decision but you. That when the prophet came, the message that he gave them also shows them. And what we see in this passage is that Israel, when they cried out to the Lord, they didn't understand that they were the problem. They were still blaming somebody else. Their cry did not, did not mean that they recognized and repented for their sin. So God had to send them a prophet to point out something to them that they didn't even realize. 
And let me tell you this, many times in our life, that prophet sometimes becomes a pastor, sometimes it's a friend, sometimes it's that small group that calls you out when it doesn't feel good, who points the things out to you that make you feel uncomfortable, that make you go, did God really say that? Show it to me. And I'm like, I'm going to show it to you. And so I came to preach today as someone who doesn't even care if you even remember my name, but yet that you would be reminded of where God has brought you from. I came to remind some people today to not forget who your source is, who your vindicator is, who your supplier is, who your sustainer is, who your provider is. I came to remind some people that God hasn't left you, but he may be trying to correct you. Uh, did you hear that? God hasn't left you, but he may be trying to correct you. When, when I felt God say that, I was like, all right, God, what do you need to correct in my life? What do you need to correct in my mind? You see, because that's oftentimes 90% of the battle. It's right here. You may feel depleted. You may feel defeated. But let that drive you to a deeper dependency on a God who's already done so much for you and who still is not done with you. I also came, just like this prophet and this messenger came, to remind the Israelites, I came today to show some people that maybe the problem isn't other people. That it isn't somebody or something else what they did or what they didn't do. Maybe the problem that's leading you to your dysfunction and to your depletion and to your desolation is you. Maybe it's you. And I believe today is the day that all that can change. That today, just like the prophet reminded them, we hadn't even got to the rest of the story, y'all. And maybe next week, maybe I'll pick it back up. You want me to pick it back up? I'll pick it back up and we'll get to what happened, God willing, unless God says something else. But maybe today for you is a day to repent. Maybe today is a day for you to surrender to a gracious Savior who loves you unconditionally, but loves you so much that he'll remind you and correct you. And sometimes we even break your leg to get you back on course. That pain that you're facing isn't just meant for you. You can choose to allow the pain to destroy you or you can use it to direct you. It's your choice. Maybe today for you is the day that you need to cry out to God. You're in a desolate place and you need God to move. Maybe, maybe for you it's time to come back to Jesus. That you've been running away, you've been living your own life. Maybe you, you were raised in church as a kid, but just like the statistic says, we're 70 to 80% of teenagers at the age of 18 walk away from church to try to live life the way they think it should live. And maybe you've come back. And maybe today is the day that you say, God, 
I'm tired of running. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I have forgotten where you brought us from. Don't let my success bring me to a place of servitude, to the things that got me here. Don't let slave or, or sin bring me into a place of being slave to it. Let me be redeemed from it. I want to tell you today, you've been running too long. This is your moment. I want to tell some of you today, today is the day that you've been, what you've been doing in secret, you've been doing it for too long, and this is your moment. I want to tell some of you today that maybe your values and your morals are so, so off kilter because the world and the enemy that's tried to throw you a life raft with this person or this group or this movement or this thing or this idea or this ideology or this theology and, and they've thrown you a raft and you've taken the bait and you've lost your way and you've forgotten what God has said and today is the day that just like a prophet came to remind Israelites, I come today to remind you who God is. He is Jehovah. He is our provider. He is our peace. He is our victor. He is our corrector. I got to make it right. I want to tell you today that God is here right now. His presence is in this room. He is dwelling in this place. I don't know if you feel it, but I do. And he wants to bring you out wants to bring you out from that place that you've been enslaved in and maybe you don't even know it. I want to tell you today he wants to make a way again. He wants to show you and show up for you again. That he is your source. That God wants to remind you that nothing is too hard for him. That you are not too far gone for him. He wants to remind you to serve the God of the impossible. That he is a God who is able and willing to do exceedingly, abundantly, all that you can ask or imagine according to his riches and his power. So I want everyone to close their eyes for a moment and bow their heads. Maybe that's you today. Come to a place of desolation and depletion. Your success has brought you to the wrong place and you have forgotten because of success who actually got you there. That the thing that you prayed for that God gave you, don't forget that he gave it to you. And so you've been living life your own way. You've been serving other gods, which could be things and people and, and items and materials, other idols that have come before him and you've lost your way. For some of you, you've, you've only ever known the world. And you're hearing a message about a God who, I want to tell you, sent his son, whose name was Jesus. That he became his own creation. He sent him through a virgin named Mary. He was birthed in a manger in a place where you wouldn't think a king would be brought into the world, but he was brought so humbly which goes to show that no matter who you are, you're not an accident. And he sent his son, Jesus, who roamed this earth and who did miracles and who spoke the word of God, who was brought to die for your sins, 
who laid down his life and shed his blood. He was the perfect lamb of God. He was he was the, the, the supplication. He was the, the, the replacement. He was the exchange. He took our sin. He took our pain. He took our guilt. He took our condemnation. He nailed it to a cross. And he became sin itself so you wouldn't have to. And he died in your place. The best part of that story is Yes, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your blood that was shed, that covers our sins so we can be in right standing with God that when we pass from this life and we stand at the pearly gates and we look to see if our name is in the book of the, 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 the book of heaven, that, that when they read it and they look at it, they can look at it and see us. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He will see God's, uh, Jesus' blood that covers us and all that's great. But the other great, amazing thing is that three days later, the Bible says on the third day, he got out of that grave, that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, the only person to resurrect his own life. And he came back to show you that he is all powerful. He is all wisdom. He is all knowledgeable. That he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. That he is who he says he is. And he did it so that one day you could spend eternity with him. Maybe you've never made that decision today. up until today. Today is maybe your day. With every eye closed, every head bowed in this room, if that's you. See, I want to know Jesus. If he died to save me, if he died for my sins, if he wants to make all things new in my life, and I want the life that he has purposed for me. The Bible says that he knit you together in your mother's womb and that he has already ordered your steps, that he had already planned out your days before you ever breathed your first breath. He has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for you. If you say, I want to set Jesus, I want him to be Lord, I want him to be Savior, I want him to be Master, I want him to be Shepherd of my life. Every eye closed, I'm going to count down from thee. If that's you, I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or do anything. I just want to know who I'm praying with. To make this step of faith today. By just lifting your hand when I count down from three, say, that's me. Pray with me, Pastor. I want to accept Jesus. I want him to make all things do in my life. I need to repent of my sins, and I want to turn to God. If that's you, three, two, one, just lift them up. Lift them up. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. I see you from the top to the bottom. I see you. Just lift it up high. I need Jesus in my life. I see you. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. I want him to make all things new. That's you today. Just lift your hand. Thank you, Jesus. I see that. I see that. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. I want us to pray this prayer out loud where your ears can hear you. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Help me to live a new life in you. God, I accept you as Lord and leader of my life. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus die on a cross for me. Today I ask that you would forgive me of all my sin. I place my hope in you. I place my faith in you. I put my trust in you. Lead me. Guide me. And today I acknowledge that you died and rose again for me. 
so that I may have life, that life to the full. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. Can we celebrate with every single person? Amen, amen, amen.